Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Teddy Schleifer, and it's Thursday, July 8th. And today, Julia Yaffe stops by to talk about her recent trip to the heart of the European political establishment, the conferences where people are talking about what is happening, not in Europe, but in America. And later on, Alex Bigler comes by to do another round of what we call Feedback Friday. This week, she is interviewing Peter Hamby with hard-hitting questions like, what led him to digital journalism? And is his dog a good boy? We'll hear all about that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com. Dot M-E slash powers, because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. Happy Friday, everybody. I'm here today with Julia Yaffe, fresh off the plane from Europe, where she has been talking with, seems like a lot, a lot of these European international confabs were coincidentally at the same time, and Julia has been kind of capturing what people are talking about when it comes to not just the conflict uh, in Ukraine, but sort of the future of Europe after Biden. She's got a new piece up on Puck this week called Europe Braces for Life After Biden. Julia, thanks for coming by. Of course. What is life after Biden like for Europe? Um, I I imagine this is not a headline that Biden wants to read because it suggests that there could not be a second Biden term. But the gist of your piece is there's sort of the 40 year or the 100 year after Biden that that Europe is thinking about and just sort of the post Ukraine war world order that Europe is sort of reckoning with. So I think like the rest of us Europeans still have kind of post Trump PTSD and 
Although I think a lot of the people in this kind of transatlantic foreign policy, national security universe in Europe felt very much relieved when Biden was elected because he's kind of a member of the American foreign policy establishment. He was kind of predictable in the sense of what he stood for. He was a strong transatlanticist. He believes in NATO. He believes in having allies. He believes in supporting democracies rather than dictatorships. All these things that we would never think an American president would have to state. But there was definitely a palpable sense of relief in 2021 when Biden was sworn in. But now there's a sense of like, well, what comes after him? You know, he is pretty old. It it was interesting that it seemed kind of like a foregone conclusion that there would not be a second Biden term and even that there wouldn't even be a Democrat in the White House. Or maybe it was just a fear that there, there wouldn't be and that somebody that either Trump himself or somebody like Trump would again inhabit the Oval Office and that there would be this kind of whiplash back to, you know, what we experienced in 26, 2020, which is, you know, playing footsie with Russia, undermining NATO questioning American engagement, not just in Europe, but in the world, and questioning America's commitment to democracy rather than this kind of um, imperialist, big power competition stuff that Putin and Xi Jinping are trying to get into. So there was a kind of sense of worry that we're at this very pivotal, very fragile moment for Europe, and that they might not have too much longer with this president or this kind of American foreign policy and that they wanted to kind of get stuff done faster. But yeah, that fear was palpable. I mean, one of the conferences in Brussels had a panel on the American midterms coming up in November. I read that detail and it was an amazing reminder of just how much, you know, I mean, you talk with anybody overseas, you know, the the amount of interest in American domestic politics and people can talk your ear off about, you know, gerrymandering and Wisconsin's yeah. district. Did you have this experience too? No, totally. I, I mean, I feel like when anyone, whenever you travel overseas, I mean, this was definitely, I remember during Trump 2016, you know, there was such an interest in American politics. And to some extent, I think it's, you know, I remember British friends of mine, you know, asking, you know, what are the chances Hillary wins or Trump wins? And to some extent, you're like, oh, this is kind of weird. Like, why do, you know, I don't care that much about British politics, right? Um, but obviously, but it's different. Yeah, it's like the the reason that they're hosting that panel in Brussels is because whether or not Donald Trump is president of the United States in 2025 matters enormously for for mm-hmm. NATO and for any any player in in global politics more so than any other country. Maybe maybe, maybe who the president of Russia matters is matters more than the president of the United States. But like it's close. I don't think so. I actually don't. I don't think so. And I think that. What was interesting is also the interest in the midterm elections, right? Because they understand that if there's more a more powerful MAGA wing, if that wing controls the party that controls the House or the Senate, that also really affects American foreign policy in terms of how much is spent, how much aid Ukraine gets, how much America spends on its foreign policy or, or shoring up its allies, right? Because Congress controls the purse strings. Right. So, you know, it was, it was fascinating to sit in this room and actually see, you know, people from a Japanese delegation asking questions about, you know, what the hell's going on there? Like, they were very polite, but they said, you know, how come America is so polarized? Like, what mm. happened? You know, if you pull back, this gets to a larger issue, which is, I think, America... This is my my personal feeling is that 
America kind of spent its energy and money and blood on the wrong thing in Iraq and didn't do well in Afghanistan either. And now there's a sense of wanting to, both on the left and the right, of wanting to turn inward. You know, why do we have to be, you hear this phrase all the time, why do we have to be the world's policemen? And that's not really what the world is asking us to do. When you go abroad, you see that people want to see American leadership, especially among our allies, right? They're looking to us for kind of a signal, for guidance, for what we're doing. We are extremely imperfect, but, you know, we are still the world's strongest and biggest, most powerful democracy. And as we've learned, democracy is a very fragile form of government sometimes. Mm. It's not the most natural. And there's not a lot of democracies out there. And, you know, they're all turning to us, looking to us. And when we say we don't want to be the world's policemen, it scares a lot of our allies because there are people who do want to be, or countries that do want to be the world's policemen, and that's Russia and that's China. The world would look very different if they were the two dominant powers, if they called the shots on the world stage, if they got to impose their will on Europe. And I think this happening at the same time that Russia invaded Ukraine, right? there's a fear that they're going to push further, that the, that the Chinese government is going to interfere further in European politics and Europe, European economies. And there's a kind of hunger for American leadership and support. And um, they fear that might not be forthcoming with a Republican administration. Did you hear any gripes or, or frustrations with kind of how Biden has approached Europe? Um, obviously, you know, in, in the U.S., um, well, yeah, I think I think I think just in the, in the in the political establishment, you know, Biden has seen his handling situation relatively well. I'm curious in the in the European political establishment, what kind of grade you think Biden would get from kind of NATO allies or just people who kind of go to these conferences? Like, what what is the yeah. international reputation of Joe Biden right now? I think this administration, at least from the people I spoke to, I think this administration gets very high marks for how it handled Ukraine, both in the lead up and trying to warn allies and in trying to support Ukraine and in getting this kind of NATO unity and European Union unity, you know, it's like herding cats, right? It's a lot of countries. They're all sovereign states. They all have their own domestic political concerns. A lot of them are far more reliant on Russia economically and in terms of energy than the U.S. was. And they recognize that the Biden administration and they praise the Biden administration for bringing people together, making sure everybody was on the same page. That said, I think there was more of a willingness to step up, not just because this was a war on their continent that looks just like World War II, but also I think because the four years of Trump really traumatized them. And it was like, okay, we have to get on the same page. We have to do this because while Biden's great and he's handling this really well, you suddenly saw NATO countries like Germany, for example, saying we're going to spend 2% or more mm. on, of our GDP on our defense budget, even though before we were reluctant to do so. So I think there's a kind of confluence of things. It's this kind of post-Trump trauma, but also there's almost like a, a gratitude that the, that the Biden administration has done as well as it has because of the experience with Trump. Right. I will say that, of course, there are always people who think the Americans aren't doing enough, that we should be sending more aid, more money, more lethal weapons, uh, hearing that more from, you know, Poles or people from the Baltic states, uh -huh. the people who 
are closer really are on the f- to Russia, closer right? on the front line, and have recent proximate historical experience of living under Russian occupation. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure most most uh, people in the European political establishment can only imagine what the situation would have been like if, if Trump were in office right now. Obviously, yeah, exactly. Julia, we got to run, um, but it's great to have you running around Europe for us. We just tried it with uh, Dylan Byers yesterday, who was at his own conference in Sun Valley. Um, we're getting this is conference it's week. It's a we're, tough we're, life out there, I know, I you know, know. but somebody's got to do it. Yeah, Julia, thanks for coming by. All right, thanks, Teddy. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right. I found that on Etsy. It's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Welcome back, everybody. This is not Peter Hamby. This is Alex Bigler. But I do have some very fun and exciting news for you, which is that I have Peter Hamby here with me right now, live. 
How Very did you book exciting. him? That's crazy. I, I had to call in a few favors, but you know, wow. it was it was time and we are getting the band back together. So Peter, thank you so much for taking the time <laughs> to talk with me. It's a pleasure to be here with you on this in this time slot that was already booked for me to do a podcast. I can't believe you, you landed this interview. <laughs> so first of all, I need to thank you because I texted you this last week, but you gave me like major cred at a dinner I was at last week. People were kind of ignoring me until someone asked where I worked and I said puck. And suddenly it was like the Peter Hamby party. People were like trying to get selfies with me, like wanted to know what you were like in real life. It was very exciting. You saw my boy, Jeremy Harlan, who was one of uh, the great photojournalists at CNN uh, and producers that I worked with uh, when I was there. Glad you got to meet him. He's, a, he's great. Nothing but nice things to say about you. He's also went to Missouri. I know. We we got into a massive fight about the Cardinals at dinner. Mm-hmm. So, um, But that happens to me everywhere I go. <laughs> so anyway, I, um, I'm really excited to have you here because we got an email a week back to the Fritz inbox that said, it was from a subscriber and a loyal listener to the podcast, and they said, uh-huh. Peter Hamby is my absolute idol. I can only dream of doing all the cool stuff he's gotten to do. He's an amazing example to follow as a young journalist. And I read that. I chose not to share it with you in the time, you know, because I like to keep good things to surprise people with every once in a while. But it gave me kind of an obvious aha moment, which is we hear from you every day on The Powers That Be. But who is this Peter Hamby character? So, yeah. So that's what we're going to do today. Okay, fire away. Thank you, reader. Thank you, reader. So Snapchat is so interesting. Like there are so many social platforms out there. And what about Snapchat? Like what drew you to that in particular? Snapchat is the platform (laughs) that you don't hear in the conversations these days about disinformation, fake news, hate speech. That is because... The platform was built around a bunch of values um, and a bunch of early decisions that Evan Spiegel, the founder and creator, co-founder, along with Bobby, his boy from Stanford. And, you know, all of that stuff is borne out. And so I I flew out to meet with Evan at the end of 2014 here in Venice. Uh, uh, I told the story the other day, actually. I was like dressed like a DC guy. I was wearing like a blazer and like (laughs) a sweater vest, Johnston and Murphy (laughs) shoes and like like slack khakis or something. And Evan walked in this meeting. He's like, why are you wearing a jacket? <laughs> it's like, we were in Venice, not, like not oh DuPont circle, but I wore a mint, I wore a mint green suit to my interview at puck and John Kelly, I thought was going to like kick me out of the room. He's like, who do you think you are? Why? That's cool. <laughs> He's like, are you wearing a suit? I was like, yeah, but it's mint green. So and <laughs> yeah. I think mine was not mint green, but Evan, you know, at the time, when this was Snapchat was still pretty early and they were scaling up in a big way and doing a lot of hiring. Um, when he met with people he wanted to hire, he'd go for a walk on Venice beach and just chat for like, you know, half an hour or whatever. And we just like talked about news and politics and they were creating a role called head of news to basically, again, to Evan's great credit, he looked at the, the world of social media, which was full of, this is 2015, mind you, 2014, full of public facing algorithms where virality was rewarded and likes and comments were rewarded. And he was like, we need to be responsible about how we curate and produce our news content. And we want somebody who can both 
think about how to create news and new formats for a younger generation that's using Snapchat, but also be a real journalist and like, like, you know, do fact checking and make sure that the content we're putting on the platform abides by our terms of service and all of these things. And it was just a good conversation. So I joined, I joined Snap then. I was their head of news. And then about a year into that, Sean Mills, who was head of content at the time, and I piloted Good Luck America, which is the show that I currently have, which is basically, if you're not using Snapchat, if you're a puck listener out there, um, you know, it is a daily news update on politics. And and the youths love it. The youths, we have two and a half million subscribers. Um, again, like the thing I, I'm most proud about, and I just, I just got like a random Instagram DM from some kid who was like, you know, you're doing an amazing job right now of showing both sides of the political spectrum, like in the world of extreme lefts and rights. I, again, I don't, I don't abide by the both sides thing, but I, I just think that a lot of, I've talked about this on the podcast with Dylan and John, like a lot of mainstream media is dogmatically left or dogmatically right. And I feel like the basic calling of balls and strikes uh, is something that's getting lost in news and political news, especially. And I, the same way I talk to you guys on the puck pod and write about politics for puck, I do the same thing on good luck America. And I think the way that media has misunderstood Gen Z and perhaps millennials when they create news content is they always end up like looking like that Steve Buscemi (laughs) meme where this guy, he's like at the skateboard. He's like, how do you do fellow kids? Like, the kids like serious stuff. They like facts. They like information. They don't want to be condescended to. They don't just want to talk about like marijuana, you know? (laughs) Um, And I think I have developed over time. I've been snapped for like six or seven years. Like I think the audience respects the show and respects me because I don't talk down to them. And also Snapchat's a very intimate place. Like you're you know, snapping with your friends and your family and your, your crush. And like, you like, it's a very, your phone is a very precious, sacred space for people of all ages. And like, you're in there and you are competing for attention with a snap from your friend and you have to be able to capture people's attention, um, in a respectful and also yes, entertaining way, but it doesn't have to be dumbed down. And so I love it. It's great. Um, and I'm grateful that snap lets me do this on the side. And I'm grateful that Puck lets me keep doing that because I feel like I'm, I don't know. I just like believe in new formats a lot because the, the anchor at the desk format is not really okay, yeah. where the future is. Well, your recent piece out with the olds, I thought really covered a lot of what you just said really, really well. It was not only the knowledge gap of who are Gen Z, what do we know about them? How do they think about politics? How are they going to vote and and talking about the project? But just how do you speak to them in a in a good way? So I know we're short on time. I just have one last question, which is, um, what can you tell us about Boone that people are dying to know, need to know? Uh, Boone is our three-year-old, just turned three, golden retriever. Um, Boone is a sweet boy. <laughs> um, he wears an LSU neckerchief in the fall um and i'm a reds fan but um katie makes him wear the dodgers uh neckerchief in the summer so he's a la la dog um he loves (laughs) 
when the light bounces off a piece of silverware or one of our phones and reflects off the wall and that freaks him out and he runs around trying to chase it. And he's very interested in the cats in our neighborhood. Every time we walk the dog, he sees a cat and he either (laughs) chases it or tries to sniff it out or is curious. Um, So he's a simple, he's a simple man, but we love him very much. Sounds like he's a dog who would love clickbait headlines. (laughs) is how you're describing him. (laughs) So, well, anyway, Puck's new headquarters, I um, have made the the policy right now, is dog friendly. So next time you're in New York, we can't wait to see you and and you can bring Boone. The only downside of having a big 65, 70 pound dog is it's tough to fly with him. And we haven't even done that. So I don't know if he's going to make it to the Puck office, but he will be the mascot of our future West Coast flagship office for sure. Well, that's what RVs are for also. So (laughs) anyway, Peter, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. It's always a pleasure every time. Well, thank you for being a gentle interviewer. Have a great weekend. Next time I'll be harder. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. You can visit us at Puck.News and on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you next week. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 